Good morning, Cobb Prairie. This is Pastor Chris, and I am here to share with you guys the fourth message in our four-week series entitled, Acting Like the Early Church in 2020. And at the heart of this series has been a simple question, a question that the pandemic has forced us to ask. And that is the question of what is the church? And to answer that question, we've decided to go back to the very beginning, the first recorded church experience in Scripture in Acts 2, and take a look at that and ask what can that teach us about how to be the body of Christ right here, right now. So to start out, I'm going to read that passage to you guys again. But I want to show you guys a cool little tool. If you're watching live, you'll notice that either off to the side or under this video, you'll see several tabs. And one of those tabs is the Bible tab. And I want you to click that now. And that's a Bible that you can look up things in. And I'm going to ask that you look up this passage. Now, when you click on the books, that you scroll to the book of Acts, and then it's going to ask you the chapter. And we're going to be in the second chapter, and we're going to start in verse 42. And I am going to be reading from the New Living Translation. That's Acts 2, 42 in the New Living Translation. But here's what's really cool. There's three little dots you'll see just up in the corner of that Bible section. And if you click that, you can sign in. And if you sign in there, it's going to sync anything you highlight and any notes you make with, well, when you sign in next Sunday. Or if you use the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, those highlights and those notes will be there too. And I encourage you to use this to follow along because I think there's something about seeing the scripture that helps it really hit home. But let's take a look at Acts 2, starting in verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And each week we've picked out a part of this or a phrase in this to, to focus on. And this week we're going to take a look at that last verse, verse 47. It says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So that's what we're going to look at. Now, before we get any further in it, we're going to take a little bit of a detour and actually look at one word that's in there. And that's the word saved. Now, one thing that I have noticed in growing up at the church and um, being a part of ministry is that each branch of Christianity, each denomination has its own quirks. It has its own stereotypes. People think about when they think about them. When we think about Southern Baptist, we think about fried chicken, we think about Methodist, we think about potlucks, we think about Lutherans, we think about beer, I, I don't know, something like that. But each branch of Christianity, each denomination has its own quirks and it even 
has its own language. We have things that we like to talk about. Theology or parts of the Bible we like to focus on and we use words or phrases maybe a little differently from each denomination in each of those branches. And that is true of the word saved. And we actually like to look at different examples of what it means to be saved. I find that a lot of mainline Christians, which that would include like Methodists and Lutherans and Presbyterians, they like Peter's story. Because Peter is somebody that follows Jesus for three years. He's invited to be a disciple and he literally follows Jesus around for three years. And he has good moments and he has bad moments. He has moments where he seems to get it and moments where he seems to not get it. And if you were to stop and ask, when did Peter get saved? It's kind of hard to pinpoint one moment when it happened. There are times you're like, yes, and maybe not quite yet. But then evangelicals, people like Baptists or Disciples of Christ and others, they like to focus on Paul's story. Now, Paul's story starts out, Paul's a pretty bad dude. In fact, the first time we see him, he is overseeing the the death of a Christian. He is against Christians so much that he has authorized the stoning of a young believer, a believer that most likely attended the church that we read about in Acts 2, and he's watching them die. But then he has this moment where he's on his way to a city called Damascus. And while he's on his way, he sees a bright light. Jesus appears to him in the night. He actually falls off his donkey, or like one of my professors in college said, God knocked him off his donkey. (laughs) And he hits the ground and he has a conversation with God. And when he wakes up, everything changes. He turns his whole life around just like that. If you were to ask, when did Paul get saved? It's really easy to point to one spot in his story and say, that's it. But see, this is what I love about Christianity, is that not everyone's journey is the same. The way that Peter found God is different than the way that Paul found God. Just like the way that I found God is different than the way that you found God. And yet, those journeys are valid. We came to salvation even if we took different paths to get there. Now, that being said, I'm going to be honest with you guys. You know I grew up Southern Baptist. I've brought that up before. We've all made fun of me before. But One thing I miss from growing up in that culture was the way that we use the word saved. Because we really like to talk about what it meant to be saved. You know, when you're not saved, you're you're not with God. You're lost. You're, in some ways, you're sick. You have this terminal illness called sin. But when you're saved, when you find Jesus, you are with God. You have been found and you have been exposed to the cure to that sickness. Because of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, when you accept that forgiveness, you have been saved. You now have the cure. 
And sometimes I wish we would talk a little bit more like that because we live in a world that is sick, that is lost, that is without God. You know, I was looking earlier this week at some numbers and they're heartbreaking. But there are young, there are more young people now committing suicide than we have recorded ever before. There are more veterans committing suicide now than we've ever recorded before. Suicide is now the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. More than 1.4 million Americans tried to commit suicide last year. And, and I, don't, I don't say that lightly. Mental illness is something that is dear to my heart and something I want to see us do a better job with. But what I do take from those numbers is that we live in a world full of darkness where it is easy to lose hope. And I hope that we desire to see people saved, to, to see people with God found, experiencing the cure. I hope we have a drive and a passion for that. That's why I love how this passage ends with more people being saved. I hope that is the end goal for our church, that we can share Jesus, the light and the hope of Jesus, the cure to the terminal illness of sin with the world around us. Or if we want to use the phrase that Dan has been using for years, that we change lives with Jesus's love and that more people get saved. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Now, to do that, I'm now going to show you a clip. A clip from a show you're probably not expecting to see a clip from. I am going to show you a clip from a show on Netflix called Queer Eye. Now this is actually, before, before you close the tab or think that I've lost my mind, stick with me. This is actually an older show that just got remade. The old show was called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, where a group of gay guys would help a group of straight guys who had questionable fashion learn how to dress better. Now, the new version of it that's on Netflix is called Queer Eye More Than a Makeover, and it's actually really good. It's the same group of fun guys, but instead of just helping people have a better wardrobe, they find people that are down on their luck or people that have a desire to serve others, that have a dream, they want to start a business, they want to start a nonprofit, and they go and they help them out. They teach them how to be healthier and, and practice that determination that they have in their life. And yes, they help them look better and help remodel things. But what they're really doing is helping people accomplish their dreams. And it's actually really inspirational and really moving. And this past week, my wife had it on at home and I caught this episode. And when I saw it, I knew I had to include it in the sermon because it... They, they go down to a church in the South 
and visit this elderly African-American woman who has a heart of gold. And she is planning the homecoming service at her church. And in churches like that, homecoming is this one week a year where everybody comes back home and just celebrates together. And alongside that, she shares a dream that she has. It was actually a dream that her mother and her grandmother had to build a community center on the church's property where Christians and non-Christians all over their, their little town can come and spend time and make their home. Kids can hang out there after school. Older individuals in the community can come together and, and throw events and have fun. And, and she just wants it so bad. And they come down there. And what I want you to see is a small clip of one of the individuals that's a part of the makeover team as they tour what's going to eventually be the community center and then go to tour the inside of the church. And I want you to take a look at what happens. Come on through. You want to take a quick look inside the church? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank go right you. Ahead. I'm good. You're good. Oh, wow. <laughs> so much red. Go ahead. Ooh. You all right? Mm -hmm. Let's see. Ooh. Sure. Tree. Yeah. My this God. So yeah. Y'all can do all the singing. I might as well get up there and oh do the preaching. Oh, my It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful it's church. It's cute. Really yeah. cute. It's been here a long time. In my experience with religion and religious people, I've just been judged. You look like the gays that's scared that they're going to burn when they cross <laughs> the, the door. OK. Can I ride with you, Gene? Sure. Yeah? Want to ride with me. And do you want to ride with us too? Sure. I don't like being involved with the church because there's so much hate against gays and fights against our just basic rights that I have a hard time making peace with it. I've really enjoyed meeting you because I can really truly see the love there. You know, I grew up really religious. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a day I wasn't at church. Mm -hmm. It was my life. Those people were my mm -hmm. family. Yes. Um, and I knew from a young age that I was gay. Mm -hmm. And I'd be down there at that altar every Sunday just crying and begging God mm -hmm. to not make me gay. And once everyone there found out, mm -hmm. completely turned the back on me. Wow. You know, wow. I wouldn't step foot in your church today. Mm -hmm. The other guys went in, I wouldn't. Wow, why? Because I told myself I'd never go back to a church. I was so hurt. Now, I know that sexual orientation is still a hugely controversial issue in the church. So what I hope is that as we reflect on that clip, don't get hung up on that. But instead, I want you to think about this young man's relationship with the church. Somebody who grew up in the church, was a part of the church, but then had an experience with other Christians that was so hurtful that now he can't even step inside of a completely different church. That's how much he's been hurt. And here's what's sad. I don't think he's alone. I think you might know someone who has had such a bad experience that they probably wouldn't step inside of Cal Prairie or any other church. 
that that's how bad they've been hurt or maybe that's been your experience. Maybe it was in the past and you've overcome that and that's how you became a part of our community or maybe you're watching online because you're still not ready to step into a church yet and this is what feels comfortable. But I don't think his story is unique. And that's what breaks my heart. As a pastor, as a Christian, that breaks my heart and I hope it breaks your heart too. My desire to see people get saved is in direct conflict to the type of behavior that prevents people from stepping into a church. I have to wonder, I'm, I'm here in downtown Overland Park and I was tempted to get a, a t-shirt made with big letters on it that said, I am a Christian, just so I could walk around and see how people would interact with me. What would they say? Would they give me an elbow bump or would they try to social distance even more than normal? Would they want to talk to me through their mask or would they avoid conversation altogether? And the sad thing is, is I honestly don't know because that's how mixed of a reputation that Christians have in our culture. So often when people see the word Christian, they think of all the stories of scandal that have taken place. Pastors that have stolen money or posted inappropriate things on social media, where they think about all the bad experiences they've had with a church. And I don't need to quote you all the statistics for you to know that's true. I know that you know that's true. And I know that you know that it is driving people away. Here's one number I will give you. That of my generation of millennials and younger, of our youth, Generation Z and younger, less than half identify as Christian. It's 48%. As my generation grows up, as the next generation grows up, a majority of the people in our country will no longer identify as Christian. I, I think we've gotten confused. Now, there's a passage in John 15. Jesus is talking to the disciples before he goes to the cross, and he tells them that because of me, the world is going to hate you. And I think some Christians have gotten confused, and they've interpreted that, that they should act in a way that makes people dislike them. That if people dislike them, they're doing what Jesus asked. And I think a lot of Christians live like that. In fact, here, here's a quick question for you. Right now, if you've ever met a Christian that you would consider extremely weird, extremely annoying, or even hateful, I want you to click the heart button right now. Now, I can't see how many of you clicked it, but I'm guessing more than one. We've all met Christians that we don't want to be around. And see, I think that's a misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying. I don't think Jesus was saying that people should hate you. I think he was talking about the systems of the world. Things like greed and power, prejudice and racism. 
Those who are involved in those systems are going to feel threatened by those who live like Jesus, and they're going to hate Christians for that reason. But I don't think that's talking about people, the people we spend time with. Want proof? Actually, two chapters earlier, Jesus is eating with the disciples. He's actually sharing the Last Supper with them. This is arguably the most intimate moment he shares with them. And in the middle of that conversation, this is what he, he says. He says, now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus is saying that if we are acting like he's called us to act, people around us will know us by our love. They won't hate us. They'll know us by our love. You know, sometimes I'm asked, what was Jesus' greatest miracle? Was it feeding 5,000? Was it walking on water? Was it raising someone from the dead after they had been gone over three days? What was it? And I have a kind of different answer for them. All those things are impressive, but if Jesus is the Son of God, God incarnate, God in flesh, then they're not that impressive. God created the world. Of course he can do those things. What I think the greatest miracle is, is that Jesus hung out with all kinds of people. I pointed out last week in my introduction to communion that in the book of Luke, the religious leaders look at Jesus and ask, why does he hang out with such scum? He's hanging out with all the people no one's supposed to hang out with. People of all different backgrounds. And yet, they all want to spend time with him. That's incredible. That these are people with sin in their life and they want to hang out with the sinless one, the holy one. And Jesus doesn't make them feel bad about themselves. He makes them feel like who they were created to be. And that's what we should do when we act like Jesus. Think about it. How many of you have had someone like that in your life? Someone that when you spend time with them, you feel better. You experience light and hope. Here's what I want you to do. To honor those people, I want to give you just a moment. If you're watching live, type in the chat now. Who's that person in your life that you just win you need a pick-me-up, you go hang out with them because they make you feel like who you were created to be. Yeah. Let's take a moment to think about them. And then let's think about how we can be like them. How we can be like Jesus. Let's go back to that passage in Acts. Let's take a look at the characteristics of the early church that's listed there. It says here that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What if we did that? 
what if we got into the Word? What if we opened our Bibles and read them and listened to teachers who were teaching the Bible? Here's another tip for you. If you go back to that Bible tab, there's actually a tab inside of that tab that says plans. And I love this. The group that put this together has organized hundreds of Bible reading plans. Some are three days long or five days long or seven days or 30 days or a year long. You can choose them. They're based on all different kinds of themes. But what they do is they'll give you a daily notification to link into your Bible app, to open it up and to read the scripture for that day. I encourage you to do that. Try one of them out, but get into the word. When we get into the word, We learn God's voice. We learn God's heart. And we can begin to live it out. And when we do, we experience the goodwill of all people. And people get saved. Where it says here that they met in the temple. Now we're going to be back at the church soon. We're working out all of those details, but there is a plan in place and plans will be announced soon. But here's what I want you to be thinking and praying about. When we come back, who can you invite to join us in the temple? Who can you bring into that? Or better yet, let's begin to dream about ways that we can use the temple to serve the community around us. I would love when all of this COVID-19 stuff begins to pass, if the church becomes that place again, where I don't drive by without seeing people in the parking lot, that every day there are Boy Scout and Girl Scout troops meeting there, basketball practices, volleyball, social gatherings, that every night there's a group in the loft talking about Jesus, but that the temple becomes a hub for people to experience God together. And if it can do that, I believe we can experience the goodwill of all people and more will get saved. Where it says they met together in people's homes and they shared a meal with generosity. What if our homes became like that? What if we had people who had church in their homes that they shared a meal together? Because yes, there are people out there that are scared to go to church, that have been too hurt to step into the building. But they might step into your living room. They might sit with you and eat and listen to this service or listen to a a few words about Jesus. What if your home could become a place like that? And I think if it could, we would experience the goodwill of all people and more would get saved. Where it says that they sold all they had and they gave to the poor. What if we had that kind of a heart? I once heard somebody say that if the church really grabbed on to this idea, we wouldn't even need a welfare system anymore. And I know that's a big complex argument with a lot of nuance to it. And I'm not saying I agree 100% with that, but what I'm saying is that I love the heart of it. I love the idea that if the church was that generous, if we sold out that much to the gospel and became that charitable, that people would look at us as a place of light and hope. 
What if if somebody down in the community, what if when they hit a, 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 a tough place, the first thing they thought was, I need to find a church. What if if somebody in your neighborhood hit a rough spot, the first thing they thought is, I need to, I need to find a Christian. My neighbor's a Christian. I need to go to them. I think that if we were like that, we would experience the goodwill of all people and more would get saved. See, I think that if the church acts like the church is supposed to act, the world won't hate us. They'll love us. They'll want us to be around. We will experience the goodwill of all people and more will get saved. And as a testimony of what happens when we act like this, I want to show you another clip from that show. And as you watch it, I want you to ask yourself, what if we were like that? I tell people all the time, you know, this, you know, it's a catchphrase people just use and they let it roll off their tongue. What would Jesus do? Right. You know, and I take that, you know, very, very seriously. You can't antagonize and evangelize at the same time, you know, and that's why the greatest commandment of these is love. I mean, that's one of the things is homecoming and the community center represents. Miles, come home. That's what I'm going to tell you. You're God's son. It's okay. Oh, before I start. Okay. <laughs> oh, let's get out of here and oh see my, what the other boys are doing. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. Where's my other babies back here? <laughs> Bobby, what have you learned this week? To remember where I came from. Yes. You know, and to let go of some of the resentment. Yes. And realize that not everyone out there that claims to be Christian is good, yes. but there are a whole lot out there that are. Oh, yes, baby, more out there, more good. Kyle Prairie, as we wrap up this service, as we wrap up this series, I want you to pray with me that God would make us that kind of church, the kind of church we see in Acts 2. Not for our own sake, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news. Because I mean it. I believe that when we act like that kind of church, we will enjoy the goodwill of all people and more will get saved. That a world that is sick and dying full of darkness and losing hope, they will see the light and the hope of Christ. They will be with God. They will be found that they will be saved. And when we do that, we're going to need more homes. We're going to need a bigger temple. Because I truly believe that God can move just like he did then now, if we act like the early church in 2020, dear God, help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.